to turn your attention now back to the scriptures. We're going to, our sermon text is Matthew chapter 16, uh, verses 5 through 12. <clears throat> Matthew 16, verses 5 through 12. As we read God's word, remember we do this as an act of worship. Uh, God has delivered his word and he has caused it to be preserved uh, for all these ages uh, for the benefit of his people. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, O you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not... Remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Amen. Would you please be seated? Let's pray together. Father, you feed us so well. You feed us so well. Moses was called to the top of Mount Sinai for 40 days, and he, he did not taste food. And you sustained him by your word, by the word of your power. You did the same for Elijah. You did the same for Christ. And we pray now as we come to consider your word, Lord, let it be food for us. And we confess that we need your help digesting this food. Because this is not food for the natural man. This is food for the man who is indwelt by your Holy Spirit. Take our feeble minds and transform them to be like the mind of Christ Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, when a new baby appears on the scene, the focus of a home changes, doesn't it? Some parts of it are a little frustrating. (laughs) I need sleep. Most of it is joyful. But the new parents begin to give their attention to that little bundle of joy, don't they? Whether they want to or not, he demands it. They want to protect and provide for their child. And these are good and godly desires. As the days go by, the parents begin to teach the child, don't they? How to identify colors. How to uh, sound out what cows say and ducks. Soon they introduce letters. This is an A, and this is a B, and the B says, buh. I remember uh, sitting on the front patio with Maggie in my lap, teaching her how to sound out her letters. Having learned to read, the child takes up books, and the rest is history. 
When you come to faith in Christ, in many ways, you are starting over from the beginning. You are learning your letters again. You're learning your colors again. When you come to Christ and the Spirit indwells you, He he takes the scales off your eyes as He did for the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. And it's as if you haven't seen color before. Suddenly the world is totally different for you. Because He's taken away that foolish mind that you had that said in your heart, there is no God. And He enables you to understand even the simplest of truths. Suddenly, things don't exist by themselves. There's a Creator, and you love Him. One of the the emphases that we are noticing in this portion of Matthew's Gospel is this emphasis on understanding. Over and over we we have witnessed through Matthew's pen the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see His power that there's nothing He cannot accomplish if it's His will. We see His wisdom, His knowledge that, that though He is a man in every respect, He is indwelt with divine power. He is a God-man. But we also see the apostles. Now they they don't get to talk a whole lot in the Gospels, and we understand the reason for that. Usually when they talk, we see that they don't know what they're talking about, and Jesus often chastises them, doesn't He? Well, He does here again. There's an emphasis in this part of the gospel on our need for sanctification. And it's not just... Christianity is not just a sanctification of behavior. When the the Spirit sanctifies you, He doesn't just help you to stop doing naughty things. When the Spirit sanctifies you, He does a complete renovation of your person. He helps you to think correctly. And that's one of the wonders that we have as we observe the apostles. What's going on here? Why don't they understand? Why why does it seem like there's so little difference between how he responds to the disciples and how he responds to the Pharisees? We're really going to get to that in the next passage, Lord willing, next Sunday. We'll get to it a little bit this morning, but what we will notice from this passage is that sanctification requires growth in knowledge. A failure to grow in knowledge reflects a personal deficit that leaves you open to error and condemnation. Now, sanctification requires growth in knowledge, and a failure to grow in knowledge reflects a personal deficit and leaves you open to error and condemnation. I want to give you just a reminder of some of the context here. Notice with me verse 5. Matthew, he always introduces these passages by giving us some of the context. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. So um, Jesus had gotten into a boat earlier and he crossed to a a different location. He went to Magadan. Apparently he went without the disciples. He went on his own as he had done uh, before, perhaps to, to, to have some solitude. 
uh, for himself, perhaps some rest, a, a moment, uh, to gather his thoughts and his humanity. He was met there by the Pharisees and Sadducees in verses 1 through 4, where he rebuked them yet again. The disciples here, they, they meet up with him. They come to the other side, and what we find is that, that they forgot to bring any bread. Now, this is the point we know they're all, they're all men. None of, none of the women would have forgotten to bring bread. That would have been the first thing that they remembered to do. The bag would have been packed. But the disciples, they forgot to bring bread. And, and this, <coughs> excuse me, puberty again. But um, this seems like a, 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 a passage of Scripture that's maybe you or I would have just neglected it, not thought about it. This just an, a, a consideration that Matthew has. We don't maybe know what the uh, um, uh, importance of it is right away, but it's placed here for a reason. Jesus issues a warning. Verse 6, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Uh, the, Pharise- the, the disciples, they begin to reason amongst themselves immediately. Uh, what's he talking about? We didn't even bring any bread. There's, d- does one of you have yeast in your knapsack that we don't know about? Did, did one of you buy some leaven from the Pharisees? I, I don't understand what he's talking about. They're d- talking about this amongst themselves. In verse 7, they began discussing it. We brought no bread. There's no, no leaven here whatsoever. What? Did one of you watch a YouTube video about baking? I I don't know. What's the issue? But what we'll soon learn is that Jesus is yet again speaking in a parable. This is a parable. The Pharisees and Sadducees are evil, adulterous men. And Matthew offers this as an editorial comment on that. They, They represent, the Pharisees and the Sadducees represent... Israel as God's unfaithful wife. The disciples, they're puzzling as they do. Each time Jesus tells a parable, Lord, explain this to us. What what are you talking about? They thought Jesus was talking about literal bread. So the warning didn't make any sense to them. And I think as we go through this, Jesus teaches us a simple lesson. He teaches us why we struggle to grow in knowledge. And then he teaches us, secondly, why we must grow in knowledge. Why we struggle to grow in knowledge. And then why we must grow in knowledge. Look with me at verse 8. Here Jesus is responding. Jesus, aware of this, said, O you of little faith. That's an interesting response, isn't it? They've heard him say, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and immediately their minds go to physical bread, and they're wondering why he would issue this warning at all. We don't have any bread in the boat. And Jesus addresses their faith one of the important principles that Christians have to remember comes from Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Think about that for a second. 
the fear of the Lord is, is not just the consummation of knowledge. That's what the world would teach us, isn't it? An atheist apologist would say the fear of the Lord is the consummation of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the result of the investigation of evidence. Show me the evidence uh, if I understand it, and if there's a proper result, it will result in the fear of the Lord. But you see, the Scriptures say exactly the opposite. Apart from the fear of the Lord, you don't rightly understand anything else. This is the beginning of knowledge. A fool, according to the Scriptures, is one who denies God's existence. His mind is foolish. He doesn't reach right conclusions. And it's not, a, it's not some lack in the evidence. Because we learn in the Scriptures over and over that, that day-to-day pours forth speech. There's a 24-hour sermon going on, both in what God has created, including man. His conscience is telling him that God exists. And so Jesus gets to the very foundation. Because Scripture teaches us that sin not only separates us from God, do you understand? That sin also separates us from a right understanding of the world around us. Let me say that again. Sin not only separates us from fellowship with God, it also separates us from a right understanding of the world around us. You see that today, don't you? Why, why, do men, why are men confused about whether they are men or women? Why do we praise evil? So when we come to faith, it not only reconciles us to God, it renovates the mind. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You see, in the Garden of Eden, you remember when Adam and Eve sinned against the Lord and there was this fall, this lapse. Remember that God said to, God said to Adam, He said, you're going to go on planting your seeds and it's going to bring, the earth will bring forth its produce, but you're going to do it by the sweat, literally the blood of your brow you're going to plant. And instead of just bringing forth its fruit, it's going to bring forth thorns. There's an adversity between man and his created environment. And this, this means understanding it as well. So faith is the gateway to faithfulness of mind. Faithfulness to Christ is more than right behavior. You are commanded to love the Lord your God with all your mind. He gave you a mind. And He intends for you to use it to magnify Him. He commands you to think rightly, to align your thought life with reality. And right thinking begins with faith. It begins with a fear of the Lord, the writer of the Proverbs says. An unregenerate man does not perceive the world around him correctly. This is why he teaches falsehood. And what does this remind us of? 
It reminds us that as we interact with God's creation, that all learning is a theological act. All learning is spiritual. The the world has told Christians, you go play in your corner. We will handle the secular stuff and you handle the spiritual stuff. But when we come to the Word, the Word, the word doesn't teach us that God has dominion or, uh, just over the spiritual things. He has dominion over all of the planet, over all things that He created, and all of them declare His glory. And so we approach everything by prayer, asking the Lord to enlighten our minds so that we can understand whatever it is that we study. Jesus is telling them you cannot depend on what you know by intuition. We need the Spirit to help us to understand all things rightly. But the second thing that Jesus shows them is that they're leaning on their own understanding. Oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Why are you discussing among yourselves that you have no bread? They're trusting in their intuition rather than appealing to Christ for understanding. They need His help. They turn to one another. And I guess if you have the only thing worse than one fool in a closet by himself trying to understand the universe is a bunch of fools gathered together in a boat trying to figure things out. You and I have a a sinful tendency to trust our own hearts. We neglect the biblical truth that our hearts are fallen, our minds are affected by sin. We don't understand the world around us correctly, and we need the Spirit's help. We're not seeking understanding at the hands of Christ. And then thirdly, there's a failure to remember previous lessons. Look with me at verse 9. Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? You see what Jesus does here is he's pointing back to some of the previous lessons that he's taught. They were with him for the 5,000 and the 4,000. And notice something very specific about this, uh, what Jesus says here in verse 9 and 10. Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? You notice something Jesus leaves out? He doesn't say how many baskets he gathered. What do you think is the point of that? I think one of the points that we ought to take away from what Jesus says here is how important it is for us as we study God's Word and the acts of God disclosed in His Word, how important it is to pay attention to the details. He expected His disciples to remember, spiritually empowered now, to take time to remember 
even the details. Remember, Jesus has already said about the law in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20, not one jot or one tittle will fall away until earth and heaven pass away. As you study, the details matter. God has preserved the details for a reason. He wants his disciples to know the very details of his word. How many baskets were left? Do you remember? Does Jesus expect you to remember the number of remaining baskets? I think so. There was a movement that's still around. It's called the Keswick Movement. Um, began in Scotland. And it, it was a movement that said holiness comes, piety comes when you let go and let God. Um, it's kind of like a Christian Buddhism. You know, Buddhism says that a man's impediment, what keeps us from the eternal is our mind. And so I need to, I need to overcome my mind through meditation and become one with the universe. And, and, and that releases me from this body of death. Let go and let God. Stop thinking Just let the Spirit fill you, empty your mind, and then you will become a spiritual person. But that's not what Jesus is teaching us here. That's not what He's teaching the apostles. He says, you need to remember. Men, you need to study. You need to think. You need to remember. It is a spiritual act, and you pray for the Spirit's help, and then you apply yourself to understand these truths in every detail. And that's my prayer. Lord, help me know the details. Help me, help me to have such a love for your word that it matters to me if I remember the order of the kings. And I can go and read the genealogies, and I take time to study and understand because this is your word, and every single word is inspired, even the ones that make me uncomfortable to read from the pulpit. They must make their way in here. And by making their way in here, empowered by the Holy Spirit, I'm reconciled to reality. I think rightly. And I glorify God. But let's look at the emphasis here. These are the impediments to growing in knowledge. My own lack of faithfulness, reliance on the Holy Spirit, uh, turning into my intuition... Failing to remember previous lessons. But the second point here is why you and I must grow in knowledge. Look at how Jesus ends this verse 11. How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. He warns them again. Verse 12. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. I hope, don't pass over that too lightly. Because when Matthew records, then they understood. 
That's a moment that we should remember. They understood What did they understand? Jesus is not talking about bread when He's warning them. He is warning them about false teaching. False teachers abound. And the Pharisees and Sadducees represent false teachers. Jesus has already demonstrated in places like Matthew chapter 12 that the Pharisees and Sadducees, they don't know the Word and they don't care that they don't know the Word. In fact, what they care about more than the Word is their own traditions, which they have elevated to the place of commands. If all, if all Jews don't do these things that were dictated by our rabbis, then you are in sin. And they've replaced the Word with their tradition. And so Jesus calls them what? A synagogue of Satan? A brood of vipers? You're the children of the devil? What is so pernicious about the Pharisees and Sadducees' teaching? It is that by emphasizing their traditions, they negate the commands of God. They diminish the demands of true righteousness. There are a lot of many Christians who made the mistake of believing that the Pharisees' error was overemphasis of the law. But as we've worked through Matthew, what we learn is not that they're overemphasizing the law. Jesus himself said, you must be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. Matthew chapter 7. What Jesus demonstrated is that these men didn't understand the word at all. And they replaced it. Because they didn't understand the Word, and because they didn't diligently study it, they replaced it. That's the danger. They replaced the revealed standard of righteousness with an imaginary one that they created. That's the evil of the Pharisees. And what Jesus reminds us of in this moment is that our battle is against falsehood. We have a battle against falsehood. That's why we study every detail. Because there's a battle against falsehood. And I know that, that this, leaven, it, this leaven, what does it do by nature? It permeates the whole. It leavens the whole. Jesus said His kingdom is like leaven that starts off very small and then permeates the whole thing. This is the Christian's anticipation of the kingdom of Christ. But on an individual level, I have to be careful to discern falsehood. And Jesus is warning them, take care. Don't listen to everything you hear. Turn over with me to Psalm chapter 97. Psalm 97, verse 10. O you who love the Lord, hate evil. 
I can remember that, can't you? O you who love the Lord, hate evil. Why do we look at this verse? Well, because one of the things that we are concerned with as we seek to live for God's glory is that we develop a hatred for evil. How do you overcome temptation? You see, our our prayers as Christians is, is that God would cultivate our minds. He would help us to identify what is evil, and then he would enable us to hate it. It's not just, I want to obey you, Lord. I want to lead a life that is honoring to you. Well, how do I do that? I cultivate a hatred for everything that is evil. The, the thoughts that I have that are not in concord with God's truth, I hate those thoughts. Those thoughts that weigh me down, that pull me away from Christ, I hate those thoughts in myself. I want to develop a godly hatred for sin in my own life so that I put it to death by the Spirit's enablement. When when you love Christ, you naturally develop a hatred for anything that draws away from His honor. Turn over now with me to 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 6. 2 Corinthians 10. Second Corinthians 10, picking up in verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. So Israel's mission as the church under age was to drive out the, the squatters from God's land. They were to drive out the Canaanites. Don't leave anybody there and don't marry those people. You are to be my people and you are to be faithful to me. That was the church's mission under, under age. Now, what God is saying is, your, your mission now is not to drive out people. Your mission is to drive out ideas. Look as Paul goes on. So, so we don't wage battle now with swords and shields or guns and tanks. Verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, not of the flesh. We don't build them ourselves but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. What what kind of strongholds? We destroy arguments. And every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. You see what Paul is saying to his people now. Your, Your mission... It's not to drive out people. It is to vanquish every idea. Because you hate evil, you also hate any idea that raises its head and pulls away from God's glory. Every idea that says God doesn't exist, he doesn't, we don't need Him, we exist unto ourselves, anything that takes away from God's glory that is unfaithful to His Word, your mission is to destroy it. Not with weapons that you create, but by the truth of Scripture. We must grow in knowledge 
so that we can accomplish this mission. Sanctification requires growth in knowledge. And Christ calls us to devote ourselves to His Word, learning every detail, seeking to learn every detail so that our hearts are protected from falsehood and so that we're able to go into the world and destroy the arguments of the enemy. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do bless you and we praise you. And as we consider the challenge of Christ to his disciples this morning, we we confess that we need the work of your Holy Spirit. We long for our minds to be sanctified, to love what you love and to hate what you hate personally so that we will flee from sin and cling to what is good Help us to take every thought captive to Christ Jesus, not tolerating within ourselves any false thought, anything that does not exalt your name. And then help us, O Lord, to be ministers of light in the name of Christ to those around us. By grace and mercy, to go into the world as salt and light, so that by our light, all darkness might be driven out so that the name of God might be exalted in all creation. We pray this, O Lord, in your name. Amen.